Jim Shoemaker and Frank Allen are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth, I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess, you from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff, I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning and welcome to Talk Money. Talk Money is about investments, insurance, retirement, and estate planning. Talk Money is everything financial. Our guests bring their insights and perspectives about their topics of expertise. We're glad to have you this morning. From our Did You Know files, well, here's one thing you may not have known. According to research by Bloomberg Barclays, the total return of stocks and the total return of bonds have not been negative in the same year at any time over the last 40 years. That's 1978 to 2017. Here's another one. Center of the American Entrepreneurship stated recently that 43% of the Fortune 500 companies in 2017, that's the 500 largest U.S. companies as measured by the annual review at revenue last year, were founded or co-founded by either an immigrant to the United States or by the child of an immigrant. That's kind of... Uh, Kind of important to know that, I think. According to Gallup, here's another one. According to Gallup Research, 46% of Americans have no money. Oh, my goodness. No money invested in stocks today, either through the ownership of an individual stock or equity mutual funds or through holdings inside their pre-tax 401k retirement plan. Maybe they know something we don't know. Here's the last one from the file. Here's something that I think is kind of a shocking. It's, uh, you know, you may have heard about this in the news. According to Money Magazine, 18 states increased their minimum hourly wage. Now, this is something you, I didn't hear about it, yet it's important, I think. As of 1118, they increased their minimum wage, including the state of Washington did this, which has the highest minimum wage of $11.50 an hour. That's the 18 states in the nation increased it January the 1st of this year. Miss that, but it's important to know. In today's program, one of the biggest topics we get requests all the time about is elder care and elder abuse. During the first segment of the program, my guest today is Mac Bailey of the Bailey Law Firm. Mac specializes in elder care and will answer your questions. And here's the question we hear a lot. Dad is about to have to go into a nursing home. What should I do or what should I have done? In the second half of the program, Frank Allen of Shoemaker Financial will discuss solutions to some big obstacles on all we face when it comes to building our nest egg for retirement and for our children. How do we face the unexpected? How do you choose a financial planner? Those are questions we get a lot about. Frank's here to answer them for you. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more talk money after this. 
Snow from overnight will be causing problems on the roadways this morning. From the Severe Weather Center, I'm News Channel 3's Todd Demers. Many areas seeing one to three inches of snow overnight, but the snow is ending and the skies will be clearing, but the temperatures will not recover. Highs only near 20, you throw in northerly winds and all of a sudden you've got a wind chill down to near zero. Even colder tonight, lows will drop to near 10 with a wind chill of about zero. Sunshine, we're back into the mid-20s for your Wednesday mid-30s by Thursday. The cars you're looking for at a price you can afford. CK Auto Sales on South 3rd in Memphis will help you finance your next car. Call 901-789-2507. I'm News Channel 3's Todd Demers on The Voice FM 107.9 and AM 990. Now back to America in the Morning. Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs, it's what we do. Shoemaker Financial and Security and Financial Services do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding any funds or stocks in particular, nor should it be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. My guest today, Mac Bailey of the Bailey Law Firm. He concentrates his practice totally in the areas of estate taxation and planning, asset protection planning, charitable gift planning, and business succession planning. Well, and that's not all. And probably you focus most of the time in elder law, right, Mac? Thank, thank you for being here, man. Uh, you know, here's the question I have for you is the, is the reality. When we say elder law, um, I mean, we've talked about this multiple times on the program. You've been a frequent guest. What, for our listening audience, when I say elder law, you specialize in elder law. What does that mean? It, it talks about legal issues that primarily affect the senior population or the elderly, uh, such as Medicaid planning for long-term care or powers of attorney or wills or trusts, things of those nature that primarily affect the senior population. But now, wouldn't, wouldn't the, the, the average listener right now think that if I'm going to an attorney and I'm asking to draft a will for my mom and dad, that, that what would be the difference of that guy that's educated, got his law degree, you know, and a person who's specializing, as you do, in elder law, what, what's the uniqueness to that? Why is it important to, to talk to the specialist in this case? Well, a couple of, well, I explain it as if you would not go to a podiatrist to have uh, cardiology services. So that's you wouldn't go to a podiatrist to have a heart surgery. You wouldn't go to a general practitioner to do something in specialized area of the law. you got to look at the lawyer's expertise, their knowledge, how long they've been practicing, and their credentials, what type of degrees that they have, to determine whether or not this is the lawyer that you need to go to for your specific need. You know, you, you say that. I'm going to have to give you an example of just what you just said, because I, just this past week, I had a phone call, and, uh, you know, and I, and I as I was, they were describing it to me, I could sense my my 
my desire to say, you know, I hate to tell you, you probably got a problem. It was it was somebody who had done some had gone to someone to do some estate planning for their mom and dad in order to when the dad ended up going to the nursing home. And in this case, it was the dad that they would have the ability to afford it because they were not wealthy people. You know, they, they mom was going to stay in the home and she just barely had enough money to live on. And all these things were going. And so they thought they had done some planning. They they had a revocable trust and not a irrevocable trust. Explain the difference between the two for our listeners, because that was a big mistake for them. Well, revocable means you can change it. Irrevocable means you cannot change it. So if you sign an irrevocable trust, whatever you put in that trust is now basically etched in stone and cannot be removed without some type of court order or the agreement of everybody that you've named in the trust document. So revocable trusts are primarily alternatives or options to a last will and testament. Irrevocable trusts are primarily done for estate tax planning, gift tax planning, and elder law planning. So I guess I guess in this particular case, they had hoped they had removed some things from dad's estate. And the difference between the revocable and the irrevocable, what's from removing things from somebody's estate? One works, one doesn't. It's great. If, if it's a revocable trust, then it's still part of the individual's estate that created the trust. Um, if it's irrevocable, uh, and then the terms of the trust uh, basically say that they're removed from the estate, then that irrevocable trust removes the assets from the estate for tax purposes and for asset protection purposes. You know, what we're talking about is Medicaid eligibility. And that's really the essence of what was trying to be done here, was put their parents into a situation they could be eligible for Medicaid. Go through that process. If you're, let's just assume you and I, I've just walked in and I've got my mom and dad, you know, they're sitting here with me and, and you're going to tell me what I should be doing to make them Medicaid eligible? First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to explain to them the five ways to pay for long-term care, and okay. Medicaid is one of those ways. I want them to understand that there may be other options before we go down the Medicaid route. But if there are no other options, then we're going to talk about Medicaid. And Medicaid is a state-federal program designed to pay for the long-term care of impoverished or poor seniors. So it's not for everyone. There are strategies you can put in place to basically transfer assets to the next generation or recharacterize income and assets so that they would be exempt from Medicaid application purposes. And those are the strategies that I would discuss with the clients and see what they're comfortable with and what they're not comfortable with. So again, it's not just something that the, you pick up, a, you can't go on LegalZoom.com and do this. This needs to be where you're sitting down with the professional and you're you're listening to what you're going through as those strategies make, to help it work out for the person. It is not a cookie-cutter process. Just like estate planning, I'll have lawyers tell me, well, I just do simple wills, and I send you the complex matters. Well, there's really no such thing as a simple will. I mean, everybody's situation is different. Their family's different. Their friendships are different. Their assets are different. Their income, their goals are different. And so you really have to discuss all that with the client and find out what they're trying to get accomplished. Let me, let me go back. We mentioned Medicaid eligibility, and you said that was one of five ways to be eligible or really to take care of long-term care. Give me the other four. Uh, one is private pay, which basically means you write a check. You write a check. And that works as long as you have money in the bank. Two is long-term care insurance. Some people can qualify for that. Some people can't. And there's lots of different options out there that I'm not qualified to discuss. Third is Medicare, but Medicare really only covers 100 days of rehab after a prior hospitalization stay. So it's more of a temporary solution to the problem. And then the fourth one of the fifth would be VA benefits. There's actually a benefit out there for veterans 
and widows and widowers of veterans to help pay for their long-term care. Okay, so you've covered those now. As you're sitting down with someone, let me, let me, Frank, welcome to the program, sir. I want to bring you in at this point. Well, thanks for having me. You know, you you talking to a lot of people, and I mean, you've, your clients and you're working with them. Do you see that they're sensitive to this long-term care issue, or, or what are you seeing when you're working with that individual client as a financial planner? Yes. When I'm working with, you know, um, people that say in their 50s and 60s and we begin having that conversation really about long term care and uh, many people decide they want to self-insure. They want to do the private pay. Um, you know, my my job typically is to try to help them understand if you don't make a decision, then you are self-insuring. Right. So make the decision with your eyes wide open. Uh, there are options out there to consider. Uh, health does come into play. And uh, it's really on a case-by-case. Case. A, a lot of times, uh, whether the person decides to get some long-term care coverage is based upon whether they've had it in their family before them. Like if their parents or their grandparents have had to go into a nursing home, then, you know, if they've had Alzheimer's, if they would had some dementia, then they're going to be more likely to be concerned about it and to do something about it. That's a great point. So if they've had the experience of having to take care of that elder parent, whether it, that elder parent may have gone into a nursing home, they are they're are they more aware? You think, Mac? I mean, either one of you, Frank, are they more aware? Or are they just uh, more sensitive to the cost, or, or well, what is that? I think both. I think they're certainly more aware because they've had to provide some of that coverage, and so they've looked at the situation really firsthand, really up close and personal, and they've either had to to do more than what they felt they were capable of doing, or maybe more than they had time to do, or they had problems within their family of getting everybody to do their share, or, you know, any, any number of these things. And uh, so, and the cost sometimes is, is a big factor. So we've mentioned private pay, we've mentioned Medicare, we've mentioned a long-term an insurance policy of some kind, Medicare, long insurance, we talked about veterans benefits, and then you talked about Medicaid. Now go back and just, I'm backing you up a little bit, Vet, tell me about the veterans benefits. Okay. If you have, were a veteran and served uh, during wartime, then you can it make has it. to be during wartime. Is that is that a caveat? I mean, yes, you said that is just, okay. So that would be Korean, Vietnam. I'm thinking of the age group that that would be eligible for that. Viet, I guess after that would be Afghanistan. Is that it? That's right. That's okay. correct. So we still have people going back to World War II even today. Okay. We still okay. have World War II okay. veterans. I get that. Yeah. Um, um, and so you World War II, Korea, Vietnam. Most of our applicants are World War II or Korea right now okay. who need long-term care, but we do see some Vietnam veterans. So there is a, a list of specific dates that you had to serve, certain time periods you had to serve in. You had to be honorably discharged. So there are some requirements first from a technical standpoint. Then after the technical requirements are met, then you move to the financial requirements for VA benefits, and they look at your resources and your income. So certain assets are exempt, like the house is exempt, for example. But then normally you can only have between fifty dollars to $80,000 in assets to qualify for the VA improved pension, sometimes called aid and attendance. They also look at your income and your unreimbursed medical expenses, things like long-term care costs, health insurance premiums, out-of-pocket for meds. Those have to be in excess of your income. And if you qualify, the VA benefit can range anywhere from $1,100 for a widow or widower to $1,700 plus for a veteran to $2,200 for a veteran and their spouse. And that's per month. Okay, that's not an easy piece of paperwork to fill out, is it? 
It is not. The, it's a government, it's a government form. form. Yeah. So you don't need to say much more than that. Yeah. If you're listening, you just tune in. My guests, Mac Bailey and Frank Allen, we're talking about the the whole idea behind how do you manage, you know, when you have that elder person. And of course, Mac specializes in elder law, and uh, Frank's got a large clientele of people that have reached that stage in life. And so we're just talking about some of the things that you need to be sensitive about. We've talked about Medicaid eligibility, veterans benefits eligibility. How about let's talk about this? And I, I want to kind of tie that in. When you think about it, Mac, when you're managing someone's finances, uh, an incapacitated person, a person who is now, and, and, and Frank, you mentioned Alzheimer's or, or, you know, or even dementia, they're now that point where, you know, the, the children just can't manage them. So, Mac, I'm saying, what are some of the things that you would recommend to manage those finances? Because it's, a, it's an issue, especially if you got several children. And I know in my situation, I had a younger sister, and the responsibility was given to me to manage my mom's estate, but I wanted to make sure she knew everything, you know, and it was a, an accountability thing. So tell us how to do that. There's really three options. Uh, the first two options are options that are available if the person still has the capacity to sign a legal document. Then there's a third option if the person doesn't have the ability, the mental capacity to sign a legal document. So first, we would recommend a power of attorney. There are two types, a financial power of attorney and a healthcare power of attorney. And we would ask if that person has the ability to understand and sign those documents, appointing someone else to make those decisions for him or her. The second would be a revocal living trust. The revocal living trust is maybe a little bit more comprehensive from a financial standpoint. You would create a living trust, you'd put the assets in the trust, and have a child or another family member serve as the trustee. Then the third option, if those two are not available because the person didn't have the ability to sign those documents, we would have to go to court and get an adult guardianship or conservatorship over that individual to manage their affairs. So what you just said, if I can, I mean, there's, there's a lot of paperwork, there's a lot of things going on. So this is the planning process that should start way before you have an incapacitated individual. Absolutely. We encourage prevention. Because crisis planning, you have limited options once you're in the crisis. So we would prefer for you to plan for the crisis in advance so that when it does happen, you've got everything in order. Frank, I'm going to ask you this question, but Mac, pay attention because it's the same question I'm going to turn right around and ask you. You've got the young adults coming in. They've, they're pulling mom and dad in. Mom and dad are elder. Uh, they've they're reached that point in life, and, and you've got to have a tough discussion. It's a tough discussion. It's a... It's one of those discussions that nobody really wants to have because dad's sitting there or mom, and you can tell that it's not the same mom or dad that was there 10 years ago. You see that in your practice. I see it in mine. I'm sure Max sees it in his. How do you get into that conversation? How would you encourage somebody listening to say, you got to kind of encourage, you got to move him forward. How would you get them started in that idea? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I think... One of the things that I've tried to focus on is making sure that there is a third party, you know, present when you're dealing with someone who is either elderly just in general and or if if you've noticed some things that just don't seem right. If if you think, uh, you know, the person you've been dealing with, it, it, the memory is just not there anymore and they're stumbling maybe over their words and or they're confused or dazed. And I, I have had a couple of situations where that has come up sure. uh, fairly recently. So. My the, the main focus that I have is really making sure that there's a third party that's there and and listening and and uh, offering advice and helping and helping. That's yeah, right. That's because it's point. it's just important um, that, that somebody that they're comfortable with is there with them 
as they're having conversations with somebody that, again, is in a position that could take advantage of them. And so it's, it's as much a protection for us as it is for them. You know, it's just, it's just good business. Good business. You know, it just makes good sense, good common sense to be working with a family member that's brought in in that situation. Mac, what about you? I mean, I think it's important to know what the motivation of the client is first. And sometimes they will tell you right up front what their goals are with the meeting, which is helpful. Um, But then it's also, you know, I always kind of I'm I'm conflicted as to whether to try to tell them war stories or tell them what the worst case scenarios are. Many times they already know what they are. But if they don't, then it's my I really feel like it's my job to sit down and tell them if you don't plan ahead, this is what could happen. And hopefully that would motivate them to get the planning done. You know, we recently had a case in the office where this is a 50-year-old, I and mean, this is 55-year-old man that that suffers now from dementia. And they had done some planning, but it had all been focused around another 25 years. And they just began to notice that he couldn't find his keys. And then he, you know, he would get dressed and then couldn't remember where he was going. I mean, just subtle things. That's just, you know, accidental that you just went. And then and within a very short period of time, his incapacitation was uh, reached a, a pretty high level uh, as a young individual. And now we're having to go through. And it was one of those things where, yeah, it was we were kind of kind of catching up because they thought. They had a lot of time. There was no urgency. And as you said earlier, Mac, no crisis. You just tuned in. I'm talking with Mac Bailey and Frank Allen. We're talking about elder care. How do you manage elder care? When we come back, I want to talk specifically, guys, about elder abuse. I mean, really, uh, I see that more than I would like to see. And it's uh, something that I want to give our listening audience a chance to understand. How do we manage or what do we look for when it comes to about elder abuse? So stay with us because when we come back, it's uh, Mac Bailey and Frank Allen. We'll talk about elder abuse and exploitation. You're listening to The Voice. FM 107.9 AM 990 Talk Radio for Memphis and the Mid-South. This is Talk Money. Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. The Osgood File, sponsored in part by Dell Small Business. Talk to a Dell Tech Advisor today to find the right Dell PC for your business. This is Charles Osgood from the Dell Small Business Studios. Diamonds may be forever, and there is a way to grow them in the lab. It is a real diamond. We've just taken what's happened in nature and just put it in a lab. As you'll hear after this. Today in school, I learned a lot. In chemistry, I learned that no one likes me. In English, I learned that I'm disgusting. And in physics, I learned that I'm a loser. Today in school, I learned that I'm ugly and useless. And in gym, I learned that I'm pathetic and a joke. In history, I learned that I'm trapped. Today in school, I learned that I have no friends. In English, I learned that I make people sick. And at lunch, I learned that I sit on my own because I smell. In chemistry, I learned that no one In biology, I learned that I'm fat and stupid. And in math, I learned that I'm trash. The only thing I didn't learn in school today. The only thing I didn't learn today. The only thing I didn't learn is why no one ever helps. Kids witness bullying every day. They want to help, but they don't know how. Teach them how to stop bullying and be more than a bystander at stopbullying.gov. A message from the Ad Council. 
Diamonds that are grown in the lab look just like the diamonds that are dug up from the ground. Kelly Good is with Pure Grown Diamonds, a company that makes diamonds by simulating the conditions that create them in nature. As she told Reuters, while these diamonds are man-made, there's nothing artificial about them. All the composition is exactly the same. It is a real diamond. What we've done is we've just taken what's happened in nature and just put it in a lab. The entire process takes about two and a half to three months. Lab-grown diamonds are cheaper than diamonds that are mined, which can be bad for the environment, and some of those diamonds are procured through forced labor. Kelly Good says there is a market of people who want to buy diamonds with a clear conscience. Our consumer is, we're millennials. Anybody who's getting engaged are really buying the lab-grown diamonds. They also like the environmental aspect of it, that it's grown in a greenhouse. There's less soil being moved, less carbon footprint. While lab-grown diamonds look like natural ones and are made up of the same material, there are a few differences. As David Weinstein of the International Gemological Institute explains, I have a diamond, I'm looking at it, and I see a green peridot crystal. I know right away this wasn't created in a machine. So the inclusions can really be very telling as to what the origin of that material is, and that's what our gemologists look for. The Osgood File. I'll see you online at Facebook, Twitter, and at theosgoodfile.com. This is Charles Osgood. Separate from the financial plan and our role as a financial planner, we may recommend the purchase of specific investment or insurance products or accounts. These product recommendations are not part of the financial plan, and you are under no obligation to follow them. Shoemaker Financial and Securian Financial Services are not affiliated with Mac Bailey or the Mac Bailey Law Firm. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. My guest today, Mac Bailey and Frank Allen. We're talking about elder law, and Mac specializes in that. If you'd like to know more about what you could receive as far as a benefit from Mac Bailey, give him a call at 843-2760. That's 843-2760. It's, uh, you know, just take the time to go and ask some questions uh, uh, tell him what we sent you, and it won't cost you the first hour. How's that? I just threw that out there. Mac, I'm sorry. You know, I just gave away a free hour, man. What can I say? <laughs> it's part of radio. Great uh, benefits of being on the radio. That's right. Great benefits of being on the radio. I'm going to give that number out one more time. All right, let's do that. 843-2760. All right. Guys, we were talking about the the reality of, of elder abuse. Now, I would like to think that doesn't happen. But we were talking earlier about financial planning. We talked about managing the, the elder law and, and you're putting it all together. Well, that's great. If we've done all that, now we've got that senior citizen, that person that we're all going to become some point in our time in our life. And yet Thank you we, for saying going you know, to become. You're yeah. going to become. <laughs> absolutely going to become. Uh, but you end up talking about physical or you know financial abuse sexual abuse verbal abuse can you know this is elder abuse and exploitation mac and your practice i mean by the time they get to you talk about this give me some some of the five i just gave you the file let me do that physical neglect it's physical abuse neglect and self-neglect verbal or emotional abuse sexual abuse financial abuse talk about what you see when you're looking for physical abuse when you're looking for physical abuse, you're looking at wanting bruises and cuts or lacerations on the person's arm or face, normally on the face because that may be where they're hit, on the All arm right. because that's where they're trying to block someone from right. physically abusing them. Um, you look at untreated conditions, conditions that are going untreated 
um, so where no one is taking them to the doctor. Because if you're a physical abuser, you're not going to take the person you're abusing to the hospital or the doctor because someone will spot that or identify it and report you. Uh, you look for withdrawal and depression by the senior who has basically resigned himself or herself to the fact that they're going to be abused. So these are all things that you should look for if you suspect physical abuse. You know, one of the things, and the the problem is that we we had a case that we had to deal with. This has been years ago, where the actual abuser was someone that had become, according to the elder person, a dear friend, uh, and they saw them as this. Uh, they spent time with them. Now, they were abusing them, not only physically, but verbally, financially. And yet the senior citizen was not willing to even report it or, or cause them to you know, bring a case against them because they were fearful that they might lose that relationship. They were starving for that relationship. And the person giving that relationship was the abuser. That's the part that I just, it's hard for me to imagine that that goes on. Yeah, it's sad that the senior has no friends or no relationships with anyone. And so they are basically isolated. They feel like this is the only person that they can speak to or relate to. Yeah, you know, I mean, I had talked to you about a case one time where we, you know, we, we got into a conversation, and and I appreciate your helping with this, where this was uh, not not a not a third party. It was a relative, and do you, we kind of put that into, you know, I want you to kind of frame it up for me, but the reality was that we had a, a mother, we had the daughter, a son-in-law, and it was basically, the son-in-law really became, was becoming one that was, he was controlling, and in his eyes, he was protecting. But it was pretty obvious to several people working with this particular case that it was more of an abuse than it was anything else. Yeah, most abusers are known to the family or known to the neighbors. I mean, they're not people that that are not you know around. These are people that are known to the family members uh, when they're abusing them. You know, that's uh, that's something that's hard to look for and, and, and understand. Frank, when you talk about elder abuse, and I guess I would like to you know give me some ideas that you see from financial abuse. That idea of the whole thought process where you're working with someone and you're 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 seeing it from your side of the table. Right. Well, you know, one uh, I guess alert is would be if you're seeing somebody for the first time that comes in, begins coming in with your client, and they've never mentioned them before. It it may be a long lost relative, or it may be a friend or a new buddy, but they've never really had conversations about this person before, and all of a sudden they're in and making decisions. So you know that's kind of a sign. You know, if they make revisions to their will, you know, that's another sign. You say, okay, now why, why is this happening? This was going to your kids, and now it's going to somebody else. Why is that? So that's, you know, that's another sign. Um, you know, if their pattern of withdrawals changes, if they have had money setting aside, you know, maybe in their IRA or, or some other type account, and all of a sudden, uh, and, and the conversations you've had with them previously would indicate that there's no need for any significant withdrawals. And then all of a sudden, something comes out, you know, and a request comes up. Well, I need, you know, 50000 or I need some large amount of money that they can't really explain why. And it's just very sudden. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's, an, that's another, you know, example of, uh, and, and, and if they're, you're talking with someone who's been very quick in the past and independent, quick to make decisions, but all of a sudden they begin saying, oh, well, I'll need to talk to some other people about this before and I'll get back to you. You know, so that's an, it's, it's basically a change in some patterns that have been pretty 
you know, pretty set and pretty predictable in the past, and all of a sudden some of those patterns begin to change significantly. You know, for you two guys, and I guess I'm asking this question for both of you, have a practice that you've worked with the elder and you understand that. It's it's the relationship that we take that for granted, guys. But what you're talking about, Frank, what you were saying, and and, and basically, Mac, that you've been you've been around this person for many years, and you've noticed things about this person, and all of a sudden those are changing. So the value that we bring to the table as we're working with that person is we have that understanding. So we're there to protect. So help me under help me with that. Where you see a change in behavior because you've been watching that person for a long time. We've all got clients that we've had as clients for 10, 15, 20 years, and we know those clients. We know how they normally act, how they react to different things. And if those reactions and actions change, then that should be an alert to us. That should be a red flag for us to say, what is going on here? What is happening to our client or my client? And I think that's important for us to be aware and be knowledgeable of our clients. And that's a benefit to the client as well as having that relationship with a financial advisor or with a lawyer that can say, I think something's wrong here. Well, I think also, you know, it's good for us to be a little proactive in that situation. And I think some firms are now including on their forms trusted contact person as a spot, you know, on the form for a person if that is appropriate. And so, um, you know, naming that person contact. Uh, and then even though an advisor may not see the, the kids, let's say they're out of town, they're college, or they're married and live somewhere else, still having their name and number and contact information, um, you know, especially if a person is not married, let's say, let's say they're a widower or a widow. And, and so you would want the um, contact information available for the children, even though you never see them. You know, just to say, okay, well, I'm having trouble reaching your mom, you know, or I'm having trouble or your mom's not returning my call and it's really important. Then having a a trusted family member that your client has already told you about and maybe as a beneficiary, you know, on the accounts, keeping in touch with them or or having access to them, I think, is also important. Being proactive is what you're saying. Trying to be proactive as much as possible. We're talking about elder abuse and exploitation. There's physical abuse. There's just pure neglect verbal, emotional abuse. We've talked about financial abuse. When we come back, we'll give you a couple of numbers of how to get in touch with some people. If you'd like to talk to these individuals, 843-2760. That's Mac Bailey, 843-2760. Frank Allen, 757-5757. Just give them a call. I mean, this is subjects that you've got to think about. Don't wait. As Mac said earlier, don't wait till it's a crisis. Start doing some planning now. We'll be back in just a minute. We're going to listen to Rebecca Brazier and the Mid-South History Moment. You're listening to FM 107.9 AM 990, The Voice of the Memphis and the Mid-South. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. The winter of 1811-1812 proved to be a tumultuous time in the Mid-South in more ways than one. From the middle of December to the beginning of February, the Missouri Boot Hill was struck violently by a series of powerful earthquakes along the new Madrid Fault. With an affected area of over 1 million square miles, these were the most powerful earthquakes to hit the eastern United States in history, including the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, which covered only 6,200 square miles. The town of New Madrid itself was destroyed. The Mississippi River flowed backwards for 24 hours, forming Real Foot Lake, 
and as far away as Boston and Toronto, the shaking was intense enough to cause the church bells to ring and chimneys to fall over in Maine. At the request of Governor William Clark, federal disaster relief was granted by the government for the first time. Had those earthquakes occurred today, they could have caused one of the greatest economic disasters in the history of the United States. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money on KM KM 990 and FM 107.9. My guest, Mac Bailey from the Mac Bailey Law Firm and Frank Allen from Shoemaker Financial. Frank is, of course, the incoming president of the FPA. Frank, congratulations, my man. Well, thank you very much. It's quite an honor and uh, a, a great responsibility. I'm looking forward to it. And you're, that's about 100 and some odd people here in the Memphis. 120 members-ish, yes, growing. Growing. That's wonderful. You're a certified financial planner and uh, specializing, I think, you know, we'd say in really good, you know, advice from a financial planning center, investment advice, uh, fee-based planning and, and things like that. So I've been we've been talking about elder abuse, elder law, and uh, Mac has brought us through that process. But now, Frank, I want to ask you this. Many people think a financial plan is all about just investing money or maybe it's a, getting a rate of return, maybe... I mean, it's amazing how, and we've been doing planning for years, how all of a sudden financial planning has moved to this asset gathering, asset management mindset. It's not that, is it? Well, it's really not. Now, I can understand how some people would think that that is a financial plan because investment management is a huge piece of a financial plan. It's a huge piece of what most everybody, uh, uh, you know, has and, and wants to grow. So um, I can't understand that, but it's really greater than that. It's a it's a big it's bigger than that. Give me the thirty thousand foot of what a plan looks like. Yeah. I mean, it- well, a plan really deals with uh, six different areas, and um, those areas are you know, like current financial position, uh, protection planning, investment planning, tax planning, retirement planning, and estate planning. Um, so basically what, what our job is and what a plan typically does is help people understand whether they're on track to achieve their financial goals. A lot of people are doing a lot of right things. They're putting money in a retirement plan. They've got some you know, insurance coverage, whatever. But when you ask them, well, are you on track to achieve your goals? A lot of times you just, you, you know, that you get some blank stares or you, or you get the shrugged shoulders. You say, well, I'm not really sure. That's why I'm here. So, so the idea is, is all those different areas of expertise you're working with, you're talking about investment, tax, retirement, estate, all those things, and you put it all together, and then it's kind of like you, you said, you know, as, you, as you're looking from the 30,000-foot view, then you have to look at what happens that's significantly not in the plan. You didn't, you plan for most everything, but then you have that unexpected thing. Tell me a little bit about what you mean by that. Well, you know, first of all, you know, when God smiles when we say we're, we're, it's our plan, right? Yeah, and when right. we plan, well, God's just kind of smiling yeah. and saying, well, yeah, that's what they think, yeah. you know. Uh, but, <clears throat> uh, you know, a lot of things can alter the plan significantly, and that's what you uh, cover proactively in a financial plan is you look at, well, what about a, a premature death? What about a disability? What about, you know, one thing or another? You know, maybe even having children, and you include that that, that you don't have in the plan. 
So there are a lot of different things that you can do proactively. And I have had a client just recently that said, okay, I want to plan with our current situation, but I also want you to add two children into the plan that we don't have now. And I want to see what that looks like. (laughs) So it was perfect. It was great. That's a good thought process, planning for the unexpected. Now, we all know that Christmas is coming on December the 25th, but we don't know when the roof's going to come off the house. That's the unexpected. You can plan for some things you know. And some things you well, don't. That's right. Or change of a job or loss of a spouse or, right. you know, there's so many different things, you know, a, a parent going into a nursing home. I mean, some of those things just come up, you know, really quicker than you expect them to. You know, and when you say that, and I think I'm asking both of you this, guys, at the end of the day, people who do planning are thinking significantly about what they're trying to put together. They they want to know someone who's looking at that. So, Frank, I'm going to start with you, but I'm also, Mac, I want you to help me with this, too. How do you go about finding someone, Frank? If you were somebody walked up to you on the street today and said, hey, I want to know how to, they don't know you're a planner, but they want to know how do they go about finding someone who can help them go through all that stuff that you named earlier from, you know, that's tax planning all the way through estate and financial planning, gold, you know, investment management, all those things, down to how do you select someone? How do they know the questions to ask? To select, and I'm going to literally say a financial planner, but Mac, I'm also going to say a lawyer too when we get to that, because I think so many people listening today, it's almost an intimidation. I mean, you, they know they need it. That's why you said they're doing some things right, but how do they go about that extra step to find the person to really work with them? Well, you know, and some people are are fearful, like you say, and then some people are intimidated, and and some people are embarrassed. You know, yeah. they're, they're not wanting somebody else to know what their current situation is because they wish it was better themselves. But most of the time, um, you know, I, I find that people are asking people that they know and trust already, and they go to them and say, okay, well, who do you use? And so it's, it is a referral-based, um, you know, practice, I think I, mine is. Also, um, you know, but I think trust, you know, a trust-based relationship is so critical and so you want to deal with somebody who has shown integrity and who has shown that they're trustworthy. And so you want to look at, well, have they been under any disciplinary measures before? Um, how, how do they get paid? Um, but you ask people who have done business with them, what has been your experience you been with your, them? Mac, what about you? How would you, how would you say that to about an attorney? Well, I think um, first thing is they need to understand that not all lawyers are equal. Because not all lawyers practice in all areas of the law. So the first thing you want to do is identify what is my need. And then once you identify your need, then what area of the practice of law do you need a lawyer to help you with? I agree that um, asking CPAs, asking financial advisors, asking other lawyers, asking your friends, who do they deal with? Who do they trust? Who do they send clients to? Uh, Have you had a good relationship with? We keep track of all our referrals, and 40% of our referrals come from our existing clients. Mm. And uh, that's a good thing um, because our clients obviously are clients in general. If they had a good relationship with their attorney or with their financial advisor, they're going to tell you that. And they're going to say, I think you need to go see this person because I had a good experience with them. That's a great that's a great way of looking at this. It's about the good experience, the trust factor. Frank, what are some of the questions that they were asking the selecting advisor that they should be prepared to ask? Yes. You know, you want to know their credentials. You know, what, what's their experience been? How long have they been in the business? How many different firms perhaps have they worked for? Are they bounce around a lot? Are they, you know, have they been at one firm for a good long time? Um, uh, you know, referrals, you know, how referrals think. Um, you know, you want to be talking to someone or you want to work with someone who's willing to listen 
more than they talk. I, I really think that that's an important part of what we do is listen more. We, we sometimes have a tendency to think, well, we know more than that person, so we should do all the talking. No, we should do all the listening, right? We should maybe open up a subject and then listen, just really have our listening ears set and ready uh, to, to, to hear. But how people get paid, whether they're fee-based, whether they're commission-based, that's important. Whether they are a fiduciary or are they go by a suitability standard. Now, those are kind of you know buzzwords a little bit. Well, I want to come back, and maybe you could help us understand those, because well, they, they, they are yes. buzzwords, but we ought, to, we ought to understand those. If you just tuned in, I'm talking with Mac Bailey and Frank Allen. We're talking, we've gone through the whole program from elder law, elder abuse, to how do you choose a financial planner, the whole idea of building a plan, the fact that it is the 30,000-foot view, knowing what to do. When we come back, we're going to find out the, Frank just mentioned it, suitability, versus of being a fiduciary. And then I'm going to ask Mac before we close out, how do you work with a lawyer? What what does the lawyer expect from you? That's an important question. Stay with us. We'll be back. You're listening to Talk Money. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Now, here's Mid-South weather from News Channel 3's Severe Weather Center, brought to you by The Crescent Club, hosting the people and ideas that move Memphis forward for nearly 30 years. Poplar and I-240, call for a free tour at 901-684-1010. Dangerously cold weather to start your day. Temperatures in the single digits, wind chills below zero. Some good news here. We're looking at mostly sunny skies this afternoon with high temperatures climbing into the lower 20s. Clear, cold near 13 tonight. We're in the mid-30s with sunshine tomorrow. Memphis Spine and Rehab relocating to Germantown across from the Chick-fil-A on Wolf Trail Cove. Check out the MemphisSpine.com or call 901-751-0939. I'm News Channel 3's Todd Demers on The Voice FM 107.9 and AM 990. Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs. It's what we do. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. Uh, Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We're talking to Frank Allen and Mac Bailey. Uh, Guys, let me, Mac, well, let me me go to you, Frank. Uh, You had mentioned before we took the break uh, the fiduciary and stability, and you said buzzwords, and yet they may be buzzwords, but there is a substantial amount of difference between fiduciary and stu- suitability. Help us understand what that means. Well, fiduciary, being a fiduciary simply means that you are required to keep your client's interests, put their best interests before your own. So that's just, that's in every decision that you make. That's a standard. Is that's what a you- standard. It's a standard that, that uh, you're held to. And so you, you know, the suitability is more of a commission-based relationship, and it's, I would call it a lesser standard, if you will, and that you, um, you know, at that point in time, you're not held responsible a year from now for the decision you made at that point, because you, you had to make the decision, is it suitable at this point in time? 
But fiduciary, you're basically on an ongoing basis managing and making sure that it continues to be the, the best thing for the client. Now, one does not say they're different. One is not right and no one are wrong. I mean, they're both different. But what you're saying is the fiduciary has got an ongoing responsibility. Suitability is a person does it at that moment. It had to be suitable if going forward they're not. That's right. Okay, that's, a, that's kind of a different and a unique difference, and I know from our standpoint, we are fiduciaries, Frank, and we think through that process, and I think that's... What about investment philosophy? Is that important? I mean, when you're talking to someone, do you need to know what that advisor, that planner's investment philosophy yes, is? Yes, you want to know what tools that advisor has at their disposal. Uh, you want to know um, whether they're a day trader, or whether they're a buy and hold, whether they're short term, whether they're long term, whether they're... You know, it's one product versus another. Uh, there, there's lots of different products out there, and most advisors have access to pretty much the same tools. So you would want to know, well, how do you normally invest clients' money? You know, how is your money invested? Mm. And so you get a good idea from that point. You tell them, uh, yes, my forte is I'm a, I'm a great stock picker, you know, or, you know, that's something I don't really do. So if you really need someone to be a great stock picker, that's not me. You know, so you're, you you be honest and upfront and you share and, um, you know, you talk through, you know, uh, maybe even performance uh, over the past several years or what happened to the portfolios that you managed back in 08 and 09. And then how have they, you know, uh, come back from 09 to now? And so, you know, a lot of it's, it's looking at track record. Track record is important. Diversification, uh, things like that um, are very important. So the client needs to know what are what do you think about these particular That's things? That's a good point. That's a great point. If uh, at the end of the day, when you're working, and I know you're you're working from a team perspective, um, I guess I'm thinking, is it important that not everybody is with a team? Some people may be a sole provider by themselves. Some may be part of a big firm, uh, you know, whatever. What would you say? Now, again, they're walking down the street. And they run into you, and they just asking you, what would you look for? What do you talk about when you say a team versus being a, a sole pr- practitioner? Well, a team, uh, it means things like, do you have a financial planning staff that helps you prepare financial plans? Uh, do you have an investment uh, director or an investment team that helps to do all the due diligence in terms of this mutual fund versus another, or this stock versus another, or this other product versus another? So. Knowing that all of that doesn't fall on you and you have other eyes on it and high, highly credentialed eyes, you know, other CFPs in the business or CFA or, you know, other credentials, but people with, with really good credentials where they've really studied. And that's what they do pretty much eight hours a day. Whereas what an advisor does, a good part of their day is managing relationship. It's making sure that you're listening. It's making sure that you're understanding your client's goals and risk tolerance. How much risk are they comfortable taking? What about your typical client? Is there is there a something about from the standpoint that fits you better, and that's something that needs well, to be taken? Well, for, for me personally, it's more corporate America. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time at, at FedEx, seventeen years there, and some other years at another company in the corporate world. So that's a very natural environment for me, a natural market. But you might have business owners, you know. But uh, that's a great question for a person to ask, a, a prospect to ask, an advisor is, what is your typical client? 
And do I fit into that? If, if I'm serving corporate America and they're a business owner, they may say, oh, well, okay, how, how experienced is that person in, in that particular market? You know, Mac, what he says, typical client, the reality is, uh, what about the typical client for the Mac Bailey law firm? I mean, do they, is that something they should be thinking about as they walk through the door? Well, yes. I mean, I, I think primarily we're going to get married couples, individuals, business owners who are trying to plan in advance for either estate planning or elder law. I think that's our typical client. What do you expect of a client when they walk in the door? What are you wanting them to bring? What are you wanting them to think? Two words, prepare and participate. So number one, prepare for the meeting. If the lawyer gives you a list of items to bring, bring that information to with you to the meeting. Number two, participate. When we have the meeting, be at the meeting, be attentive, turn off your phone, and participate in the meeting. You're paying for that time. Let's get the most out of it so that we can benefit the client. So when you talk about participate, I hate to say this, most people listening, you know, I'm going to the lawyer, they got this clock running. How do they manage that participation? How do you encourage them to to participate? Answer the questions. uh, Try to give full answers to the questions. Uh, Don't hold anything back. Don't uh, feel like that you can't tell the lawyer about something. The purpose of that meeting is for me to know everything I need to know in order to benefit the client. Okay, that's a that's a huge word, benefit the client. Frank, if you had to summarize in a minute, a second, what would you say from the 35, the seconds closer to it, though? What, how would you summarize this? How would you tell somebody to think about working with you? Well, I, you know, I love what I do. Um, I, I love the relationship. I love taking care of people. Uh, I love listening to them and understanding what their needs are and helping them achieve their goals. So if they want to know where they're on track to achieve their goals, give me a call. Well, I like what Max said. You're talking about achieving goals. You're talking about being prepared and coming in and participating. You guys sound like your personal guys. That's kind of good. That's kind of good. I think that's the case. Find somebody that you can work with. And you've been listening, of course, to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We thank you for listening. We thank you for participating. If you've got a question, send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brashear and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Frank Allen are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Yeah.